You guys staying up there today? You'll be back. I was just worried because I don't want to feel like Andy Stanley or anything, you know. Always has the choir behind him, you know. Someone's picking their nose and you're not paying attention. I hate when that happens. Uh, Did I hear a comment about my attire? Yes, I decided to get a job at the university. I thought, um, this is in honor of the newlyweds, one who just stood up to get congratulated right there, Mr. and Mrs. Vega Crawley. This was the wedding attire of the day during the solar eclipse, by the way. There's no connection, just thought I'd tell you. So, um, if you have your own Bible, I would like you to turn in it. We're actually going to use pages. Old school. (sighs) Pages. If you don't have one, take one of the black ones out of the chair in front of you, find one, and turn to page 552. And I want you to just hold it open, because at the right time we're going to read from it. Uh, I'll tell you later. So let me mention a couple of things. One was about the bow tie, so we got that out of the way because somebody had to say something. And um, the second one was, uh, if you have Q&A that I never answered, please forgive me. Oh, listen to the groans out there. Okay. But if you want to send them again, I may do them here, or if not, I will try to answer you privately. You know what I mean? So give you an answer. I hate not answering questions that people have about the Bible, because that's one of the things I can do pretty well. So I want to help you with that. Number three, we're in the daily Bible together. For those of you who are visiting, you saw some, well, you saw some confusion about what page we're on today, but uh, we are reading through the Bible together, which is a great exercise for... A church, and uh, so we've mostly been so far in the Old Testament, and I'm trying to lift some principles out of that, and that's why we're working our way through. And I'm in the life of David, and no, Jess, it's not because uh, there's a good sermon series at another church, and I'm not saying where because you won't come back. So anyway, uh, it's because David's life is so graphic and such a great illustration on. Uh, Leadership principles, spirituality, walking in humility with God, which we want to talk a little bit about today. One last thing I have to say just before we launch into the word together, and that is I have a tremendous apology to make. I'm not making it today, but no. When I, when I first got hired on the MLT Uh, gave me a challenge and said, all your movie clips are too old. I just haven't had enough time to go to enough movies yet to catch up with some newer movie clips and movie illustrations. Can you forgive me? Got two non-Christians in the room. I heard them say no. The rest of you are probably okay. All right. The title again this week is uh, Worship Wars, and, and really... What we've been doing this morning is worshiping, only today it's Revenge of the Sarks. Those of you who are um, Star Wars fans will recognize the stolen title, but anybody know what the Sarks is? See, I, I mean, I know this is a mystery because even my wife said, what is that? 
And she's been married to me a long time. No. Oh, Lord. Okay. Dr. Seuss. It's the Greek word for the flesh. Sarks. All right. The Greek word for the flesh, which is a word that is used by the Apostle Paul to refer to not just physical flesh, but the inclination that we have to be naughty. Anybody discover that about yourselves? You have an inclination. Anybody self-deceived doesn't want to raise their hand. All right. So we all have it, right? We'll, we'll talk later, brother. I'll, I'll counsel you. So that's where it comes from, right? And David's life is a great illustration of the redemptive work of God. In fact, he's a model, if you will. And from his family line comes the ultimate Messiah, the Redeemer, Jesus. He's called when he's healing people, the son of David. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And so uh, there's a direct connection there. But especially by the way he models that thing that we love about David called he had a heart after God, although we don't always understand what that means. I think today, for the second time, we'll get a little view of it. I must have preached too hard. I drove some people out last week, I think. I was pretty, I was kind of out of control, right? Hawko unhinged or something like that. Start a series. Last week, we looked at David's humility his manifestation of controlling, letting, not letting the flesh right. What was it? The um, what did I call it last week? The the worship wars. The the flesh awakens. Thank you. Somebody was here. Okay. The flesh awakens. David pushed back on the flesh. Do you remember? He had this phenomenal worship experience. You remember? The phenomenal worshiping. He was more excited than I was when my truck ran. I told you about that last time. Fantastic. That you remember. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, um, and he comes home after that uplifting experience of worshiping God, and he gets into a fight with his wife. How real is that, friends? Right? Or you get in the fight with your wife on the way to church. Well, either way, how real is that? Now you behave. And, um, and he pushes back on Michal, remember? He pushes back by saying, in this case, I'm willing to walk in humility in a way that means I may be dishonored or made fun of by people in the world. And it doesn't matter to me. I'll even do worse than this. Because you're preoccupied with status and image, and you're dead wrong, and God looks at the heart. And so I'll push that way. Come on, let's be real about this. Doesn't the world look at us askew sometimes? I mean, you're spending Sunday morning on a beautiful day like this. Where? You're reading what book in your spare time? You're, you're giving money to what? I mean, isn't that true? We look odd. And it's going to become more so as time goes on. Nevertheless, uh, we hear the whisper of the enemy kind of saying, you must be an idiot, right? Because that's what the world thinks. The world's going to think you're an idiot. You're not, and neither was David. Today, we want to look at humility that is manifested, not giving into the flesh, but instead of pushing back, by not pushing back. Okay? By not pushing back. So last week I mentioned that our little symbols in our culture for evil 
are pretty stereotypical, like this one. Now, just one final nod to the Hollywood industry. This is the modern update of it, right? The Sith. And that's where I stole the idea of the Sarks, all right? The point being, do you remember, anybody old enough to remember the cartoons where you had a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other, and they're going back and forth, right? You don't have to admit how old you are here. You don't have to, but that was just kind of a rhetorical question. But yes, we are. I remember it. And even our culture, which has less of a consciousness of sin, would understand the visual of the angel on one side and somebody who looks kind of like the Sith or that mask uh, on the other side. Don't do it. No, don't do that. Do it. No, don't do that. Remember that? Isn't that the real world? That's the inner war. And every day there is an inner battle going on to decide who are you going to worship. That's where the worship war is. Am I going to worship myself, my flesh, my appetite, my desire for vengeance? Or am I going to worship Jesus Christ who is of a different spirit than my natural spirit? Does that make sense to anybody, or am I speaking into the air? Like, It makes sense, right? Every day, that is the challenge in front of us. So, we're looking at a passage of Scripture today. Um, it's the story where David is on the run. Let me give you the context, and then what I want to do is turn you to this passage of Scripture. But it won't make as much sense unless we know the story before we read the psalm. And those of you who have been reading the Daily Bible, when you came to this story, this psalm was interposed right there in the story. Here's what's going on. King David, greatest leader, the model of the kingdom to come, if you will, establishes the throne of the Lord for his son Solomon, all of that. This great leader who made a couple of mistakes. Thank you. Where was, uh, where, where, where'd Mike go? Hi, Mike. Glad you're here. Uh, because of some of the blunders he made, one day things get very dark in his reign. His son, his own son. Now, I don't know if you've ever had something like this happen. It does happen. But his own son thinks, I can do a better job running this country. My father is a little bit goofy on a few things, so I'm going to just take matters into my own hands. And he is ready to put his own father to death. And so David has to leave the palace. Now, think about this. Here's the way his day went. Uh, number one, here's your pink slip. The security guard's going to walk you to the door, take everything out of your desk, and no, you can't come back in. That was step one. Then he goes home. Guess what? We've got to get out of the house today. If we're not out of the house today, we're getting arrested. And so he has to pack up his family. Everybody's leaving town. He's on his way out of town in this depressed terror, and he's in an old station wagon to boot, you know, on the way. After that great day at work, <laughs> on the way out of town, is someone from Saul's old family. Saul was the last king. He was not a great choice for president. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't. But one of his relatives is still ticked off that David got the kingdom. 
He's still angry. And so as David and his entourage, he gets the word. Somehow it got on Twitter. I don't know what happened. It got out that David and his family are running for their lives. So he comes out and he sees David's old station wagon and he starts throwing rocks at it and swearing and calling him really dirty names and telling him what he thinks of him as he's going out of town. Abishai, who's the brother of Joab, you remember there were three brothers and they were kind of roughnecks. They really were. They were a totally military man. We don't take any baloney. Abishai says, why should this dead dog get away with this? Let me take his head right off. Back then, you didn't have to go to court. You just deal with it. And David's response is, uh-uh. You've got the wrong spirit, Abishai. You need to learn a few things. And we'll look at what else he said in a few minutes. It's in that context that David, that night, exhausted probably, that night probably, sought the Lord, is praying, and the Spirit inspires him to write Psalm 3. And that's where we are today. Psalm 3, page uh, 552 in the Black Bible from the chair. Psalm 3, a morning prayer of trust in God. Look what it says. Psalm of David when he did what? He fled from Absalom. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. And here it comes. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. That means blues rift right there. That that is what it it is, right? Who is the music, guys? Isn't that true? It's volume. it's It's maybe meditate, you know, time to play music and think about what I just said. But you, O Lord, are to shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down, I slept. I awoke, the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Anybody remember this song? There was a, this was done to music years ago. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Anybody remember that? We need to learn that. That's a great one. Isn't it a great one? I've been singing it for two days now because of what I'm preaching on. So if I go off and start singing, sing with me, thank you, so I'm not totally humiliated. All right. Here's my outline. For those of you who like to keep notes, the first couple of verses are basically saying, yikes. Yikes. I'm surrounded by enemies. The second few verses say, thanks. You're for me. You're going to help me. And the last section says, help. And we'll unpack the words to each one of those as we go along together. Here's what happened. David is leaving town, and Shimei comes up. I'm going to give you the exact words. Thus Shimei shed... Yeah, shed. Thus... That was a bad one. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of bloodshed, worthless fellow, which is a very derogatory word. 
The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. You're getting what you deserved, you dirty rat. And behold, you are taken in your own evil. It's finally come down on your head. You are a man of bloodshed. And I'm sure he said a few other choice things. Have you ever been attacked? Have you ever been misunderstood? <laughs> Some of us. Anyway. You are a man of blood. You know, here's the problem with this attack. There's some truth in it. He did not come against Saul. He is innocent. He's innocent. But one of his generals, I already mentioned roughneck Joab, murdered Abner who was Saul's right-hand chief of staff. Against David's will, behind his back, which is why later David made sure Joab got his. But there's a little truth. He was a man of bloodshed. God had already said, you're not the one to build the temple that is a picture of the kingdom of peace, the prince of peace and all of that. David, uh, your son Solomon will do that, but not you. Yeah, there's some injustices that have happened. How did all of this trouble start? Some of it started when David blew it with Bathsheba. There's a little bit of truth. But what he's being attacked for right now is unjust. It's not true. Been attacked. Or sometimes we're up against uh, not just being attacked, but being misunderstood, misrepresented, point blank lied about. Some people are actually just plain cruel, rude, and mean-spirited. You know, it was in the paper today. It was really great. Um, you know, I think we call them trolls, right? But uh, today in the paper, one of the editors talked about... Um, Keyboard Tourette's. <laughs> Keyboard Tourette's. Do you know what Tourette's is, right? All of a sudden, the person just uncontrollably starts spewing blasphemy, spewing foul language and nastiness. And there are people who get behind their keyboard, and the Tourette's takes over. And we encounter people who take a little bit of truth and go for our juggler. How do I respond to that? They're competing with you for something. They're, they think their rights have been violated. Doesn't care about your rights. First thing is, this is reality, friends. It's just reality. It's the world we live in. We're in a sinful, broken world. And somewhere along the line, someone is going to not be nice to you. It's just going to happen. And if you're especially going to try to live for Jesus, you know it's going to happen. Somewhere along the line, someone's not going to be happy with you. They're not going to like you. They don't like bow ties. I mean, something. I was preaching up north one time. I got, we get feedback. You know, I always receive feedback. Anonymous, nasty stuff, throw in the trash. I don't even read it. Just so you know, if you're thinking about it, don't bother. But I get this, your pants are too long. Thank you that you got such a blessing out of church. That was his uh, comment. When I, what's that? How was it? It was, my pants are too long. That was actually my title. No, I'm kidding. 
This is kind of funny. When I got hired here, uh, this was four years ago. I was, um, I was interim at first. And I'd been here maybe five, six months. And some very unhappy, bitter, shimmy-eye type person from my last church felt called of the Lord to post a, a, um, a, uh, a Harmony website comment about me. I mean, it was a good one, too. They got my name right. And they got the fact that I used to be the pastor at Union Center. They got that right. They got the fact that I had left right. They got an awful lot wrong. And they had jumped to all kinds of stupid conclusions, just spewed out all of this venom. And my, I don't remember, what the, I don't think, it might have been Dar, I can't remember. But my, was it Jody? No, it wasn't you, it was Dar. She comes, look at this, you know, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, Interesting. So I took it to the MLT. I said, um, a very concerned citizen feels you need to know this. So here, do you want to present it to the church? Because if you want to get rid of me, here's your chance. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what? I didn't lose one minute sleep. Not one. How many times do we spend all night wrestling arguing with people. Anybody know what I mean? I'm going to straighten that guy out. Thank you, Kathy. All night I'm wrestling with, I'm straightening him out. What a lot of energy and lost sleep, etc., etc. Of course, I've never had that experience. I'm just assuming some of you have. But I really, you know, I got that and went, yikes. Yikes. But you know what? It's just reality. It just is. The most important thing I can deal with is to make sure my relationship with my Savior is right. And then the rest will sort it out. And so the next portion of this scripture is great. It says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. He answered me from his holy hill, and I went to sleep. That's what it says. I laid down and slept. Even though there's people surrounding me, they want my juggler. It's okay. I awoke because the Lord sustains me. Isn't that cool? So the second thing after yikes is restraint. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for being with me and helping me and granting me restraint. I can actually trust you and I can rest in you. I don't have to take retaliative action. I don't have to fix this myself. I was, my wife and I were, um, you know, we're very spiritual. I, I just want to point it out. So we, we like to watch spiritual videos. So we were watching the original Star Trek series. And uh, in what, boy, I'm telling you, it, it's, yeah, I have a sixth sense of humor, sorry. Anyway, we're watching one where, where Captain Kirk is arguing with a man who is in a mental institution. I'm thinking, now, how bright is this? Yeah, I won't say what kind of wits. And so I'm watching the entire film, and I'm like, why hasn't anybody called him on this yet? You're arguing with someone who's certifiably out of his mind, and you think you're going to win this argument. 
Well, that's almost what it's like when you're trying to Facebook fight people. Forget it. Just die to it. Or whatever other issues. What are they thinking about me? Oh, I just had a recent one, too, that I, you know, Lord, you're the one who sustains me. Physical and even verbal restraint is a mark of walking in the spirit. Of not letting the sarks get its revenge. Maybe you remember that Jesus was falsely accused. Anybody ever read that? There's something about that in the Gospels, like four times. He was falsely accused. And the scripture tells us this. I'm not putting it on the screen. In Matthew 27, he's in front of Pilate. Pilate's hearing all these accusations from the leaders of the people. And he says, don't you hear what they're saying? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? Don't you want to defend yourself? Don't you want a lawyer? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge so that the governor was quite amazed. Okay, another confession. As a man, there are some chick flicks I like. All the men in the room just went, I'm done with this guy. But anyway... One that I really, I have to like, I do like some of the, like, Sense and Sensibility. They are, cla- right? Pro- oh, please, be quiet. And uh, anybody ever see Pride and Prejudice or read the book, right? All right, at least there's a couple of fans in the room. The rest of you, I'll call you back in a minute, all right. Mr. Darcy is completely misunderstood and misrepresented and trashed, trashed continually behind his back, right? And he's like this everywhere. Not exactly full of the joy of the Lord, but he's stoic. Never says a word. Now, for a person who talks a lot, in many words, there is sin, the Bible says. I'm always getting myself in trouble that way. He's my hero, I look at that and I go, isn't that amazing? Could care less what everybody said. I'm just keeping my nose to the grindstone. And at the right time, if circumstances allow, the truth will come out. And boy, does it ever. Boy, does it ever. He was not at all the snotty, self-centered, whatever else people were calling him. And he got Kara Knightley to marry at the end. How, how cool is that? I control anyway so there you go he didn't answer him to a single charge see our problem is we just want to jump up and say but me I'm 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 that's our problem it's it's like so hard to resist isn't it John Artberg in the book the life you've always wanted spiritual disciplines for ordinary people I'm waiting, but I'm not ordinary. So anyway, ordinary people. Talking about the whole issue of the grace of humility and how hard it is not to defend or point out where we stand, whatever it happens to be. Richard Foster, he's quoting in it, 
don't let that throw you off. It's still a good principle here. Some people have attitudes about some of these names. More than any other single way the grace of humility has worked into our lives is through the discipline of service. Listen to this. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service, but get this. Nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. Oh, I want you to know that I did this secret almsgiving. Did you get, you didn't connect the dots. I did this secret almsgiving. I want you to know. Okay, skip that one anyway. Isn't that true? I mean, it takes, it almost takes like... I'm not going to give in. Not going to give in. This book, um, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, talks about some of this, this issue of brokenness and learning to walk in humility. If I can just find the right uh, spot. This must be it. Here it is. Simply means walking in humility and walking in death to self and stop worrying about what everybody thinks. Can I just reiterate, this doesn't mean, I don't give a hoot what you think, stupid. That's not what it's like. That's not a humble spirit. Some of us have that and we're darn proud of it. Really should repent of it. Okay, that's not the spirit of humility. But it simply means that the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way wants to justify itself, wants to explain, stand up for its rights and seek its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will, admits its wrong, gives up its own way to Jesus, surrenders rights and discards its own glory that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all. I was recently challenged personally with an issue that matters to me that somebody else actually pulled off. They actually did something that I think should be done. It's a good thing, and it matters to me. And they did it, and I didn't. Oh, man, what am I going to do for my press release? Spirit gave me a wonderful victory. It's like, you know what? All that matters is that Jesus gets his will done. It doesn't matter who does it. Who gets the credit? Some some, old preachers have said that a long time ago. If we could just get past not worrying about who gets the credit, it's amazing what we could get done. Ma'am. Yeah, I'm really confused, aren't I? No. We should care not in the sense that... um, my, what I was referring to in, in right now was not having an attitude that says, I don't care what you think, as in, you're all jerks, and I'm right. That's what I'm talking about. Not that. But what happens too often for us as believers, we're preoccupied with everybody else's opinion of us. And that botches up our personal spiritual life. We can't enjoy freedom. In other words, what, I, what matters to me is, do I know that I'm walking in rightness before God? I had a recent experience where I had interacted with some other brethren. It's out of this church, by the way. It's not here. And I was sure 
oh, I'll bet you they've got this idea about me, this idea about me, this idea about me. No one ever feels like this, do you? Uh, they, they have, without a doubt, come to this conclusion. They think I'm this way, I'm that way. What does my flesh want to do? I want to call them up right now and say, I know you're thinking this, but that's how I... See what I mean? And the, so the Spirit had to settle me down, and my wife and I were together, and we're praying against this. Ah, much better. Thank you, Lord, right? The revenge of the flesh. And it should be obvious for believers that physical vengeance is not in order. Now, I thought I shouldn't have to say that, but then I realized maybe I do have to say that. Because some people, they're so used to their old lifestyle, and this is the way I used to take care of everything. I had a friend of mine and was mentoring me when I was in seminary. And he told me a story about my home church because it ended up that he came from the same church down in Flushing, New York. And there was a time when there was some real tension between the congregation and the pastor. Can you imagine that? But it actually happened. This is a true story. There was tension. And one guy was shaking hands at the door with the pastor as they were going out. And this guy started ripping into that pastor, dressing him down, probably a little shimmy-eye event. Know what I mean? My brother had a, I think it was either his brother or a close friend or relative, who was a newer believer, and he saw this happening, and he knew that his pastor was God's servant, and he just went, what? And he went up and pow, knocked the guy right over. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, um, (laughs) my friend grabbed him and said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do He said, no, I was reading in the Proverbs yesterday. Whatever your right hand finds to do, do it with all your might. (laughs) You guys don't have enough fun in your life. You need to get uh, physical. Jesus said to his disciples when when Peter jumped up and cut the ear of the high priest's servant off because he was going to protect his master. Jesus' response is, put your sword up. Don't you understand that I can call my father right now? I don't need a cell phone. All I have to do is say, help, and 10,000 angels will come and wipe these people out. Don't you trust God? That's our problem. We don't. That's our problem. Is he sovereign and is he good? David, I think, is manifesting such a gracious spirit at this moment because he's made some mistakes in the past. One other story. So he was running from Saul for his life with his band of men, his little army. They would run from hiding place to hiding place to hiding place. And they ended up in this one area where there was a lot of sheep farming. It was a good spot. They were well hidden. And the sheep farmers, because David was a just man... um, Their sheep and cattle or whatever, David's men would sometimes protect them from either thieves or from wild animals. He would stand in the gap. And he's done this for, I don't know, six months, something like that. They've had a good relationship. All the the shepherds were friends with David's men, and they all got along. And one day, he's in hardship, and he needed some food. And so he sends to this man Nabal, whose name means fool, Hey, 
Could we come over for a hot lunch just once? You know, we've been with you all this time. We've taken care of your guys. You haven't lost one sheep on our watch. Could you help us out this time? And Nabal, being as he was, who are you, jerk? Get lost. David goes, okay, guys, get your swords. Get your 357, put it in your pocket. Let's go. Anybody know that story? It was, I think you've read it already, right? They get on their horses, off they go. They're heading on the way, and his wife interposes. She brings a big spread, little sterno things, everything set up, you know, <laughs> all set up. And David says, oh, what's this? And she falls on her face. Please forgive my husband. You know what? His name, that's what he is. Here's David's response. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment. Blessed be you. You have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. It would have been a terrible, terrible choice. I was, you know, even he was not in the spirit all the time, just like us. And God sent somebody to cut him off before he made a huge mistake. See, self-vindication is usually a blunder. Taking up for the, the rights of others who are being abused is usually a healthier thing. Not always, but usually healthier. But when it's all about you, not that it's never right, because it is. About 90% of the time, we're in the wrong camp trying to justify or vindicate ourselves. And in that story, whoops, I don't want to go there yet. The end of the story, Abishai says, this dead dog, why is he swearing? Why? We've got, you know, hasn't this been a bad day? I mean, you got fired at work. You had to empty your house. You're running for your life. Things are just not good. The stock market crashed that day. It was bad. And this guy standing, making my misery worse, let me just take his head off. Wouldn't that feel good? Yeah, baby. David says this, seven and eight. Oh, by the way, what's the last answer, right? The answers are reality. It's just the way it is. People are mean. Two, restraint. That's what we need. Three, there's some reflection in this passage I'm going to show you. Help, Lord, help. Arise, O Lord, save me, my God, for thou hast smitten my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Bless your people. Here's the reflection. Abishai says, let me take his head off. David says, boy, are you missing it. How, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? You're always rash. You're always doing something aggravating. If he curses and the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, behold, my own son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite who used to be in the blessed camp because the king's family probably had tax benefits. You know what I mean? And now he's the loser. How much more should he be mad? By the way, doesn't, doesn't Zeruiah sound a little like the disciples that followed Jesus around when they wouldn't let him in a certain town? And James and John said, hey, Lord, they're, they're turning you away. You're the greatest preacher that ever lived. Should we call down fire from heaven? 
And they're all proud of themselves. You know, like, well, we, you know, we've learned a little bit about miracles. You want us to destroy them with a comet? Ooh. Anybody remember David's response? Anybody? Uh, not David. Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus now. That was New Testament. Anybody remember? You don't know what spirit you're of. You, you got the whole thing wrong. I'm not here to kill people. I'm here to just to bring them to life eternal. And you're missing the point. And that's what David is saying to the sons of Zeruiah. You're missing the point. But here's the best part. Oops, what happened? Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. What is David saying? Maybe I'm not all that good. Maybe I deserve some of this. You know, when you're in that kind of a state, you start to scratch your head. I've been there more times than I want to be. Whoa, maybe I deserve this. Maybe. Wow, what did I do, Lord? Maybe I deserved it. I don't know. Maybe I asked for it. Maybe I'm not so good. Some of what he said is true about me. Maybe these are some of the consequences. Maybe there's some point God is making here. I'm open. I'm listening. I'm not going to return evil on this guy's head, even though he deserves it in an absolute sense. He does deserve it. But I'm going to wait on God and see if he'll notice my misery. And because I'm restraining myself, a heart after God, are you getting it? I'm not allowing the sarks to get its revenge. Because I'm choosing to restrain myself, maybe God will notice and he'll return blessing on me. Do you think God did? Oh, yes, he did. He restored his kingdom. And by the way, Shimei got his at the end. I don't have time to tell you that story. David walked in humility. I'm just one of the peeps here. I'm a sinner like everybody else, and I need mercy. I need grace. I need help to live for God every day. Brothers and sisters, are you listening to me? You need grace every day. In order to manifest the nature of Jesus, not strut, think I'm better. Look, it doesn't matter. Let me get my list here. As powerful as I am, David says, as mature as I think I am, as important as I think I am, as well-read as I think I am, as cool dresser as I think I am, as hardworking as I am, whatever it is that I think I've got it together, I need grace to manifest the nature of Jesus or the sarks will get its revenge. So one of the pictures of mercy that we don't deserve is at this table. So I'm going to ask my brother Derek to come, and I'm going to ask you to quiet your hearts for just a couple of minutes. Look inside. Are you able to rest, to lay down and sleep in spite of all the jabber on Twitter? Because thou, O Lord, art a shield to me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. And you're the one who will set things straight in the end. Quietly pray for a minute and then Derek will lead us to the table, which is a great picture of mercy and grace.